This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. I mean, this is number two for us today. We're on a roll. I think we've recorded like 75 podcasts in the last week. <laughs> it has that's, been that's seven. How, we've been on a marathon. We will be coming to you in November. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, yeah this is going to be out in two months. <laughs> might, have start, might have to start throwing a couple of extra episodes out here. This one's been a long time it. in the making, though. I mean, we got yeah. Robert Hefner here who wanted to be introduced as just a oil dude. What do you like, Robert, uh, Robert Hefner? Energy dude. <laughs> Robert Hefner. Not just oil. The 10th? The 10th, yes, the 10th. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. I've got twin boys, though, and I killed the name. My parents weren't exactly happy about that. <laughs> you ended So it. there's no six. No, my what, dad What would you, what would you do in me. that situation? My dad was a third. He ended it he with was? me. Yeah. Yeah, he was RT the third. And Why did he kill it? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I'll go ask, ask him. To, I'll go ask him today. Like, hey, why don't you keep that going on? Yeah, I'm glad for me it was like twins, right? Flexlet. It's mm-hmm. I didn't want to be like, hey, you're the anointed one, and oops, sorry, you're screwed. Uh, so, <laughs> could, like, could you just do six and seven? You know, not really, but yes, you could. You could do anything. <laughs> you can name your kid North. Yeah, um, which I say that jokingly because one of my best friends is North Whipple. But you can name your kid. Uh, what was Elon's <laughs> baby's name? It was just oh, a bunch like, of symbols. Yeah. Northwest. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah North knows that was Kanye's. Elon Musk was named oh, after Elon's. like good yeah, God XAE twelve yeah there you go something like that yeah <laughs> named Which, after a, a surprised rocket? you remember that that was yeah good, good old memory. Elon man <laughs> so dude we've been I think we talked on the phone sometime last year like yeah it's pre COVID like yeah might have been <laughs> pre apocalypse yeah pre apocalypse year and a half ago I think we first talked on the phone and we've been trying to do a podcast for a while now and you yeah. finally got to make it down to Houston uh, you're down here for the Mart Conference yeah Maryland Royalty Conference yeah so how's let's just talk about like you know what's the general so your background okay first yeah let's start with your background like let's tell people who you are because your I mean minerals is your background that's where you came from right. Um, not really, actually. So, like, family-wise, sure, you can you can go there. Um, we're, the family's originally from Texas. Most people don't talk talk about that, especially in my family. <laughs> um, my great great grandfather, who was they called him the judge, he went to UT. Uh, he was a poor ass goat herder from Lone Oak, Texas, is where he's from. And uh, he had a wealthier cousin who would send him her books. And like, he was living during a time when you had to have kerosene oil for for lamps, yeah. right? And so since he was so poor, if the moonlight was not, you know, bright enough, he could actually read and study and got himself into UT, went UT law, graduated in 1902. So Spindletop had just happened in Beaumont, which was 1901. So he went straight there, set up a shingle and like the kind of the rest is history. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So like the reason I kind of tell you about him, though, with the mineral connection is the way that he really built wealth was through minerals. And the irony is, in at least if you're looking at generational wealth, most families lose their wealth by the third generation, and mm-hmm. most of their kids are really fucked up. Yeah. So, um, you know, my my hesitation is always I've always been confident in myself, even though I've not inherited any generational wealth whatsoever. Um, I've always been confident that I would be able to be successful financially, make money. But I wanted to focus more on how do I not screw my kids up. And what can I do to make an impact? And so with minerals, I noticed you can build wealth and sustain it, mm-hmm. which is that that's an incredibly unique asset. And it's what drew me to minerals in, in 2013, uh, really. 
And then 2016 is when I launched with a, a fully dedicated platform to minerals. Cool. But, you know, in there, it was kind of a land background. I have no degree in any kind of petroleum-related degree. Um, I love math. You know, I was, in co- I was enrolled in college as a junior in high school. Yeah. Um, and... Did you get like a mathematics degree? No, um, <laughs> I should have. I should have gone engineering. Kind of looking back, I wish I would have done probably Stanford engineering, something like that. But um, I, I was a big hockey brat, mm. and um, <laughs> so like I, I spent summers in high school in in Boston and North Dakota playing hockey, and got recruited and chose Air Force Academy. So I was going to go Air Force Academy and and do that thing. And uh, a month before I was sh- supposed to show up, they told me I couldn't bring my Jeep, and I'm a huge grease monkey. So <laughs> like I was like, no, 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 I'm. I'm I'm bringing my Jeep and I want to go rock crawling, you know, in Colorado. And they're like, no, you're, you're not, this is the military. We don't, (laughs) I don't think you understand how this works. And I was like, well, I'm not coming. And they're like, okay. So I, anyway, I ended up at OU. Um, and anyway, the rest is kind of history. So yeah, like land is kind of when I, where I got my start. And then a little bit, I was working for the Lou Dreyfus family uh, out of Connecticut and Greenwich, Greenwich. Um, that was 14 and 15. And that's where I started to learn, uh, really through Ronnie and Ronnie, um, more about the finance and engineering side of the business. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Um, what was it? What was the family you mentioned? The Louis Dreyfus family. Wh- who's that? So, um, Gerard Louis Dreyfus, he's since passed, but you know, the, the family goes back to Alsace, France. I think that's how you say it. And that he started, I think trading the first commodities in the world off of, I think it was wheat probably in like the 1600s i don't even know 1700s mm-hmm. yeah and so the the more well-known louis dreyfus is julia so you know veep that's julia louis dreyfus and so that was her dad who was mm. i was kind of working for in a way uh roundabout way um so anyway engineering f- finance there and then it's just kind of been general business since yeah so you started the you know the the land platform you said 2013 that, that was right? when i made my first investments in minerals. yeah yeah so it was this focus like on you know, scoop stack, you know, up in Oklahoma or where were you really focused on? Um, it was efforts. It was focused in Oklahoma and a Darko basin specific. And yeah. like, it, that's just because that's where I was. Yeah. It wasn't it's because backyard, I thought it was right? the best basin or whatever. It was just my backyard and I was interested in it. So I wanted to just throw some investments out there and, and we did. Um, and they turned out to be really great. So like I, I deployed at a hundred dollar oil, and then it fell apart to, I think it got down to the 20s. Mm-hmm. And as that occurred, my returns were going, you know, I was getting 70, 80% internal rate of return, actual internal rate of return, not these half cycle economics yeah. that everybody <laughs> talks about. Um, and I was hitting multiples like every year and a half, right? Oil going from 100 to 20. I was like, wow, this is an amazing, resilient asset class. And so like that's that was part of the reason why I jumped further into it. Um, but the other traditional wisdom was it's not scalable. You can't scale minerals. And yeah. so I, I kind of disproved that to myself circa 2015 and um, decided to go after it. Yeah. So we've, you know, been talking, we're talking cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Dogecoin. <laughs> Dogecoin to the moon. Dogecoin to the moon. I mean, Robert, we met on Twitter, you know, the early days of EFT. And I mean, there's all kinds of things going on there, right? Yeah. But, before we dive into the fun stuff like cryptocurrencies, you know, you've been at Mark all week here in Houston. I've seen pictures and I mean, great turnout. Great turnout. It looks like it's over a- 600 registered. That's crazy. To this day, it's the largest event ever held at the Post Oak Hotel. Wow. And, um, you know, it, it was no masks, 600 people, 
first, I think, I think it must be the first industry event since COVID. Yeah. Uh, that's in person at least. Yeah. And so Until the it, it was just this weekend. great. <laughs> I mean, the first night, you know, it's run by Carl uh, over at Haymaker at, and his team, Doug and, and Vasily. And anyhow, the first night they have happy hour and these girls come out in these really skimpy, like nurse outfits. With these <laughs> okay. Yes. Massive, please explain that. Cause Chuck took a picture. Okay. So Chuck Yates took a picture with them. Well, I was and, laughing because Chuck Yates <laughs> took a picture with them. And then an anonymous account from Twitter posted a picture of Chuck with the yeah. nurses. And I was like, of course, Chuck gravitated. Yeah. Towards. He goes, I want you to stick this in my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, but it was this big syringe like and it, they were jello shots. Jello shots in the syringe. Right? And um, <laughs> I, it was it was really well done. A lot of attention to detail too, because on the jello shots, it had like Pfizer, Moderna. Oh, you know, so there were like different yeah. colors that were the different brands even. Um, so anyway, great time. Well, great to that. see people live. So, shout out to those guys because I saw that and I was like, that's pretty funny. That's something digital wildcatters would do. And I yeah. saw it there and I was like, <laughs> it was that's dope. I like that. Yeah. So we need to But overall, it was a good conference though? Great conference. Um, lots over? of optimism. Actually. Yeah, okay. that's what I was going to ask. Like, what's the sentiment from everyone sentiment, there? Sentiment, optimistic. Um, now it's minerals, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not upstream operated. It's not working interest. So, you know, at least in the mineral segment, we've been outperforming. It's, it's almost the exact opposite of the upstream EMP space, really. Um, even if you look at it from the public sector, we've been outperforming even tech uh, in the mineral segment Why it, is publicly. That? Well, we don't have a cost basis. We do have a cost basis when you buy it, but we don't yeah. have, you know, we aren't sharing in the working interest to pay to drill the wells, to operate yeah. them, you know, pursue them. Yeah. And so you're just literally raking in the money. And uh, maybe we should break it, that down if someone's listening and they don't know, you know, like, the structure of an interest. In yeah, that's good. Board, you know, they don't yeah. know the difference between working interest and, okay. um, you know, overriding royalty interest. So can you like explain to us a little bit? Yes. What that means? I've had to do this a lot over my, over yeah, my, yeah. Uh, I mean, we may have years. someone that's listening that has no idea about how that's yep. structured. So that can mean nothing to them. So, yeah. So the way it works is, is if you own the land, you own, fee simple is referring to if you own the surface plus all the minerals all the way to the center of the earth. And fee simple started to get broken up. And so when they did that, it's ironically my great great grandfather. He created the first mineral severance in the in this whole country. And it was known as the Robert A. Hefner Forum, which became the Jay-Z Mineral Conveyance, which is literally the mineral deed still in use today. Um, so he severed the surface rights from the mineral rights. And the surface is basically, you know, what you walk on down to about a hundred feet on average. And then, you know, different case law around that. And then from 100 feet to literally the center of the earth, you own everything else, right? So that's the mineral owner. Is it the, literally to the center of the earth? It is literally to the center of the earth, Shit. yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, that includes hydrocarbons, yeah. That includes oil, that includes gas, that includes water. Um, and there's a lot of water down there. It also includes things like helium, rare earth metals. And Oklahoma is one of the largest um, iodine producers for the world. So all the, all the iodine you get in your hospitals probably comes from Oklahoma. Um, so you own all of these things. And what, what ends up happening is when you own the minerals, you own a hundred percent working interest. Okay. Working interest is what it takes to drill the well. If the well's 10 million bucks, you own a hundred percent, you're paying 10 million to drill it. Um, if you don't want to do that, you can lease it to somebody, right? The moment you lease it, the, the lessee in the contract is the person you give it to a hundred percent of that working interest transfers to that person, but not all the royalty interest, which is the revenue side. So they get three, six, you know, you, you get a three sixteenths on your lease, right? Which is average in Oklahoma and the Permian, it's 25% or a quarter. Um, so you retain that royalty, but you give away all the working interest. 
and they in turn get the the inverse of the royalty interest at the same time. So they get 100% royalty interest or working interest rather. And then if it's 25% lease, they get 75% of the, the net revenue interest, which is the revenue side. So um, the effectuation of giving that up is through an oil and gas lease contract. And then, you know, the rest of it's carved off from there. So if that person sells it to the ultimate operator, um, that's how overrides get created. And it's the differential between uh, whatever the lease burden was at and what you deliver it at, um, which... Hopefully that's a good enough explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Robert doesn't even know. I just had him create a piece of content for us. I'm going to cut out that two-minute section. It's like, how does working interest work? <laughs> <laughs> so anytime someone Googles Dude. that on YouTube, yeah. it's going to be Robert giving an explanation. Perfect uh, explanation, man. That was great. And cool. So interesting to hear that you're, what was it? Great grandfather? Great, great grandpa. Yeah. Great, great. So man. Robert Hefner Sr., the judge. That's crazy, man. That's yeah. wild. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, the the structure can get very complex outside of that. Yeah. You know, you talked about, you know, creating overriding royalty interests and things like that, but mm-hmm. perfect breakdown. Um, so that, that makes sense. I mean, if you own, you know, just a royalty interest, you don't have any essentially OPEX, you know, on, right. on the assets. So you don't, you're, you're, you're just you don't pay a percentage of any barrel of oil that comes out of the ground. No costs. The, yeah. Your only costs are limited to ad valorem. If it exists, it does in Texas, doesn't in Oklahoma and, and, you know, deducts kind of, um, and then your taxes. Yeah. So, so what's the mineral landscape look like now? Because I mean, I know there's a ton of mineral funds out there, you know, you've had a ton of money from wall street going in there over the last decade. You got a lot of private, um, you know, family offices that are looking at buying minerals. What's the landscape look like given everything that's happened over the last year? I mean, are minerals still trading hands, um, pretty frequently? I mean, are prices up? What's it look like? Um, everything is way down and, and Oklahoma's taken the worst of it, uh, frankly. So Oklahoma on average per net royalty acre, which is a normalized, um, number down to a one eighth royalty. So anyway, I'll, I'll leave the math alone, but <laughs> if, you know, per, <laughs> per net royalty acre on average, probably two years ago in Oklahoma across the entire state, we were at 7,500, 10,000 in net royalty acre. I bet you across the state at the moment, and we have the actual data to support this, but it's probably 2,500 thereabouts. Oh, wow. So that gives you an idea of, of how far the, the market has contracted. And what I didn't actually appreciate at the time was competition's really good for me. Mm-hmm. I want more people to come compete in Oklahoma. I want more people to compete with me because it dislodges deals. That's what creates velocity and deal flow and velocity and transactions. And so uh, what I mean by that is, Imagine you're sitting there and you know nothing about minerals. Mm-hmm. You you own them, but they're an annoyance to you. And at best, you you know that what an acre is, right? So you get an you get ten offers three four years ago. You you're able to feel at least confident that you understand what a good offer is and what a bad offer is yeah. by nature of just comparing what you've got. Well, now imagine today you get one offer and it's from me. You have no clue if that's a good or a bad offer. And so that's kind of the nature of what's happened, which has broken down the economy of transactional volume mm. across the country, but maybe a little bit less so in the Permian where stuff is still transacting. But the nature of these transactions is, are getting larger uh, because the aggregators need to exit. And then beyond that, you have the publics, which are issuing shares in an up C structure, whereby you don't take the tax hit as, as the person selling. Um, until you want to actually convert those shares into the publicly traded stock. And then at which point you'll, you'll take a tax, you know, the event. Yeah. Um, so that's literally what Haymaker did in, yeah. with Carl. And so Haymaker sold to Kimball Royalty Partners, publicly traded. 
And he took a bunch of shares in an, an up C structure just like that. So a lot of those kinds of deals are getting done, but not very many cash deals. Gotcha. Um, Franco Nevada, ironically, just did a big one in the Haynesville uh, with Mesa Petroleum, which is one of the, uh, out of the tree of Carl became Darren Zanovich, which was in the previous Haymaker team. And gotcha. so he just had a big liquidation event. Yeah, that's and a so, really interesting point that you brought up that when you don't have that transactional volume, that you don't have a benchmark essentially of what the you yeah. know, real value of an asset is. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I didn't appreciate that. And I definitely didn't think that at first. I was like, <laughs> sweet, everybody's gone. I'm going to get to buy whatever the heck I want. Yeah. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> um, and now I can, I've, I've made $100 million worth of offers this year. Yeah. I've bought zero. Bought zero. Wow. What are, what are some of the different business models or maybe different strategies within the mineral space? Um, okay. So you've got the ground game guys, the guys that have a brokerage background that understand how to go to the courthouses, roll up their sleeves, pull the books, mm -hmm. pull the deeds, chain title, call the owners, you know, and buy on the ground. And then it, this is where things got really frothy is that guy would go sell to this broker, to that broker, to that broker, to that broker, and finally get to me. Right. And mm -hmm. so in between you're marking it up thousand percent. Um, and that works, you know, sometimes, you know, I shouldn't technically care how much money these guys are making in the middle if it works for me, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people get butthurt about that, but, you know, if it, if, if it's a number that I'm work, willing to yeah. transact at, what do I care what these guys make? Yeah. Um, so you've, you've got those guys, you got the, I'll call them the, the ground game players. And then you've got the guys that are the brokers who are really good at connecting the docs with people. They might have a really good relationship with one big mineral buyer, like Brigham Minerals or something. Mm -hmm. um, and the, And they... My, Brigham might even share kind of some of their buy prices with some of these guys in order to incentivize them to get out there and like give prices out to other people. Mm -hmm. They can arb whatever they want in the middle. And then you've got kind of the, the big players, the aggregators. And so it, there's two forms of those. There's the private equity aggregators, which are short term. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the the larger institutional players like Long Point. They're not public, but they're institutional, right? Five, uh, Probably 800 million raised from institutional uh, money. Most of that is Canadian Pension Plan, Investment Board, CPPIB. And uh, so your, your cost of capital is extremely low. You don't need to go public. You're private. You know, it's kind of the, really, they've got the best mm -hmm. situation, in my opinion. Then you've got the publics. And the publics are now having to aggregate more scale uh, for the purpose of getting being able to attract the institutional investors. Yeah. So those guys are prevented from investing if you don't have enough volume traded in a day, right? And so it, when I say vol, I don't really mean volatility. I'm, I'm more referring to volume, but yeah. that's a problem right now for all of them. There's only two, I think there's only two above a billion dollar market cap. Yeah, Brigham's right there and they all need to grow and get above that billion mark um, and continue to grow to scale so that, that you can get that volume trade. Yeah. So you've got, you've got these guys that buy the essentially consolidate and then typically flip, right? And, that, and that's still yeah. happening, right? So you have and I did guys. a lot of that personally. I mean, like I mentioned earlier in the mm -hmm. intro, I I haven't inherited a dollar. I had to pay off my own student loans in college. And I, you know, so I didn't raise any money either mm -hmm. to get started. So what did I do? I just flipped and flipped and flipped to be able to hoard GNA. We got it to 200 grand a month in GNA at one point. <laughs> and I was pulling, I, I'm, I don't know how we did it. <laughs> frankly. Um, but you know, I flipped a ton and, and I tried to retain it, whatever I could. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I still have a portfolio now that's made up about 200 horizontal wells and thank God for that. Otherwise I wouldn't have made it through the, through the downturn myself. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Datagration. 
Now we know that the best workover candidates with the highest potential production gain typically are overlooked because they are not always obvious at first sight. There are thousands of mature oil and gas fields in the US with hundreds of thousands of wells to monitor and optimize with an ever-shrinking skilled workforce. That means hundreds of wells for each production engineer to analyze daily. This routine work normally is not automated and leads to lengthy well-by-well -well reviews. Built within the Petrovisor platform, the Datagration team has automated the entire workflow candidate screening process. By leveraging machine learning and knowledge automation, premature well abandonment is avoided, thus extending well life and deferring well plugging cost. Engineering time is saved by highlighting the best opportunities within the platform, and engineers can now spend their time on the most promising workover candidates and standardize best practices. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about Petrovisor use cases. Yeah, so I mean, you just, you know, you start brick by brick, just kind of snowball effect, you know, flipping. Yes. Building up, aggregating. Yeah. And then one acre here, yeah. one acre there. Yeah. And you get bigger <laughs> and bigger. Um, the biggest deal we did was just shy of 20 million in a single deal. Prior to that, my biggest deal was about five million. Yeah, in a single deal. So like, you know, once you get to that, that I was really excited for that. I was like, sweet, I finally broke through. You know, I could start mm -hmm. doing larger deals, and the market just tanked. Is yeah. the, is the goal to try to get to 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 build up as much continuous acreage as possible, or continuous doesn't really matter? matter doesn't really matter. No, no. Um, you want to be under good operators, right? Mm -hmm. um, Dtring had a great slide during this conference showing you could be under Pioneer which everybody would say is a great operator in the Permian, great acreage, but they have over a million acres. Um, so what's your velocity to them actually getting to your property if they're running 12 rigs, which I think is what they're running at the moment. By comparison, he, he pulled up somebody else who was a private operator. They only had 30,000 acres instead of a million and they're running three rigs, not 12. Well, mm -hmm. you want to be on the other guy because you're actually, you have velocity and a little bit better timing knowledge yeah. as far as when they're going to develop your stuff. They're and time value money is everything. Yeah. So um, I don't know that really. That's, just that's a really interesting point on that is, you know, when are they ever going to actually drill it and produce it? Yeah. And knowing what their drilling schedule is. And it's like, okay, well, you know, they got 12 rigs and it sounds like a lot, but oh, if they've got a million acres to yeah. you know drill through that's going to take them a it's while it's going to take so. a while so do you typically go out and buy just acreage that doesn't have any producing assets on it and then wait till it's developed or do you go out and buy something that's already producing minerals um it, it depends on the environment so i've, I've done it all when mm. i started uh circa 2013 i was buying 100 percent undeveloped mm. as i became bigger and more sophisticated as well we started buying more and more and more pdp and then we engaged at one point with Mullis and company at the absolute wrong time. Uh, most people don't know who they are. They're a massive investment bank. They've mm -hmm. got, I think they've got nine offices in the United States and maybe 12 across the world. Yeah. And so we engaged with them in 18. We went on a big road show and we, we raised over a billion in um, verbal and we got term sheets on about 450 million in, in aggregate, but we didn't get a deal done. And I forget why I'm telling you this. What was the question? Uh, just raw acreage without any wells oh, yeah, versus right. versus. So the we we had built a portfolio construction around okay. what we wanted to do, and that was going to be about fifty percent of the portfolio going toward heavy PDP, mm -hmm. about thirty percent of the portfolio going toward situations where there's one well to HPP the acreage, but you don't necessarily know when the density development's coming, and then about five to ten percent of the portfolio is going to be geared toward 
completely undeveloped, but it's still under really good geo and maybe even in the middle of the core, it just hadn't been drilled. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you don't necessarily have control over that timing. And if you construct the portfolio that way, we believed that, um, really commodity price didn't matter, which Mm -hmm. is a weird thing. Um, the heavier you get into PDP, the more commodity price matters. And so we learned the big three that mattered were timing to cash flows, your DCA variables. Um, and, and then of course your, 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 uh, purchase price, which is the only thing you really do control. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you made a comment that you've put out offers on a hundred million dollars worth of assets this year and you've transacted on zero of them. Yeah. And so you were telling us before we started recording that you haven't really worked on your business at all this year, <laughs> that you've been yeah. producing That's content, fair. that you've been writing content. Like I've seen. Yeah. You guys you've inspired seen, me. I've seen the blog posts <laughs> that you've written and I mean, very detailed, packed full of data and you're commenting on how hard it is to produce content. And so tell us a little bit about what you've been up to this year and what you're working on. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's, I got to a point where I don't, I don't know if anybody's listened to Naval and his, and his stuff and his podcast, uh, David Vasquez turned me on to him. Just, he's a philosopher and he's really good. And most of his pods are two minutes. Like that's it. I love it. And he drops more in those two minutes than most people drop in 30 or an hour. And so um, at one point he described peace and, and the way he described it, and I'm butchering this, but to paraphrase, peace is when the soul is quiet. And I realized like, that's what I want. When you go into a room, you don't want to be the joker. You don't want to be the, you know, that, that comedian that's always just super loud. And that's what I was. I really was. I was that guy because I didn't have inner peace. My soul was not quiet. And I, I would, most people would, you know, I'd play the role because that's what people expected of me. They mm-hmm. wanted me to be this big entertainer. And, you know, I have all these stories, which I do. Um, but, you know, I played that role and, and he foiled it to Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. He said, here's a guy, that, and we all have de- demons, right? But here's a guy who didn't deal with his demons. His soul was not at peace. And, and look what happened. And so during COVID, it gave me that ability to just read a lot, to really reflect. And it, and it came out like I was doing something that, I don't know. I mean, minerals are great, but like, am I really passionate about minerals? Yeah. No, I realized I was really passionate about helping people. And, and where I think I can help most is in politics. Yes. And I'm not running. No, um, yet (laughs) (laughs) maybe in the future. Um, but it, it was with energy education, my, and exporting my energy IQ to the coast really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was really the impetus for me to start writing. And I started it and I loved it. Love writing. Uh, I now have a newfound respect, though, for y'all putting out original content and journalists. My God, it's it's excruciatingly Writing's hard. detailed. It's hard. I um, have so much respect for journalists. Like, dude, the ability that, like, Christina, out, like, that 16 pieces of content. <laughs> our newsletters. And I'm like, yeah. she can just sit down and write. And I'm like, how do you yeah. do that? That is wild. Yeah. So mad respect for that now, having gone through it and. So in February is when I launched and I didn't make any fanfare. I, ju- I just put my website up. Yeah. And then I started publishing to my social media platform. And that was Hefner.Energy. Yeah, it's Hefner.Energy. Website, right? yeah. And so like the I, I hit really big on the ERCOT analysis that I did. I, I put out two separate analysis, one kind of the day of and, you know, kind of the early lessons that we could take away without having all the data and mm-hmm. takeaways. And then one a, a little bit a week later. And that one blew up. It, got, it was published in... in um, News Max is public. It was published all over the country, nice. and um, guys like th- that I really respect 
which Jim Gallagher is one of them in Austin, right? Um, you know, he said, this is the best analysis I saw of all of the failures in all of Texas. And well, he read it. I'm sure he read give, a lot. Give us a quick rundown because I was actually going to make a piece of content. I dove deep into it. The deeper I got into it, the more confused I became as to what was <laughs> well, actually the truth. Reality. So like in, in 120 seconds, okay. what's, the, what's the analysis? All forms of energy failed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Period. To try to point fingers at one is is a exercise I'm not interested in. Except nuclear, right? No, it failed as well. Did it? Yes. So th- there was the problem with cold is instruments freeze. And this is an oil and gas too, right? So instruments are important, especially in, in midstream, for example, where you're dealing with really high pressures, you can't afford to fly blind. So whenever your instrumentation goes down, what do you do? You, you, you shut it down. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what happened. Instruments froze and they, they weren't willing well, to I risk it. I got a lot it. of flack on Twitter real time when it was happening. You know, people were blaming uh, renewables, solar and right. wind yeah. for shitting the bed, which it did. Yep. 92% and wasn't, failure. And I wasn't right? denying that. Yeah. But my point was, let's not act like we're about to have issues out in oil and gas. Yep. But I've worked out in the oil field. Yep. I know it freezes up. I've yep. been out there with the Tiger Torch trying to thaw things out. That's right. And so I caught a lot of flack for that. But then- Guess what? Four days later, the data starts coming in, and yeah. you saw what happened. Didn't yeah, it's my understanding that natural gas ramped up to pick up the slack, but as temperatures were dropping, it got to that freezing point where it, it didn't matter anymore. So, my understanding of the natural gas infrastructure is is this, and I think this is the big problem for Texas. Texas does not reward financially or incentivize financially anyone to have backup capacity. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Oklahoma, we're the exact opposite. If you have a, a plant that never produces, we're still going to pay you to keep that up and maintain it, right? Mm-hmm. And so theoretically, we should have a higher price per kilowatt hour for our electricity than y'all do. Well, we're three cents less on average across all industries per kilowatt hour, even though we still pay these people to have backup capacity. And so since you don't do that in Texas, nobody nobody has been keeping up their infrastructure because the more renewables that do come online – the utilities are forced to take those first. So wind, solar, when they are there, mm-hmm. they're taking those. What what do you shut off? You're basically shutting off combined cycle natural gas and now single cycle natural gas plants. When you do that, they, they still have costs. They have fixed costs. Mm-hmm. And so what does that do? It impacts their their margins. And then what do they do? They're not incentivized to maintain it. So, that, yeah. so Ed Hers did a great job of putting this into context. He said, imagine buying a car and letting it sit outside for 30 years and under the harshest conditions imaginable, you go outside and you try to start the car. What are the odds you think that thing starts? Yeah, it's not. That's what happened in Texas. Yeah. And so as far as the natural gas infrastructure freezing up though, what I found out was I didn't realize the cooling effect of a pressure drop, Mm -hmm. which can be 70 degrees on top of it being negative 24 outside. So all of a sudden you go from a high pressure system to a low pressure system, boom, 70 degrees down. And on top of that, you're at negative whatever it was anyway. I mean, that, that stuff's freezing up. And so hydrate crystals very specifically are easier to form and harder to get rid of than a or methane hydrate very specifically yeah. than a water crystal. Yeah. And so you can't just heat it. It's not that simple. And so there, there was a lot of problems, obviously. And that, that was my biggest takeaway is if you force renewables into a priority position you, and you don't incentivize backup capacity, you, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get this again. Mm-hmm. And you already got it in 2011. Yeah. Nothing changed then. Happened, is anything going to change last, now? Last week. 
or yeah, kind ago, of. We, got, we got they were trying some. to fix all that. Yeah, um, they didn't expect it to get cold. Well, but yeah, but I mean, it's a major problem because it is a major problem. It it comes down to not reliability of the energy source itself, but misaligned incentives. And why would anyone be incentivized to either one weatherize to build backup power, right. you know, beyond nameplate capacity if it's not going to make any money? Right. Like, dude, well, at econo- the, at the same, what anyone says, economics drive everything, right? At the and same so, at the same time, it was unprecedented, right? When was the last time that that had happened? Well, Eleven. <laughs> But also, <laughs> well, but, dude, but also this, light, but no. also the same thing with Harvey as well, because that, that's that's a big I'm argument that it is unprecedented. Is shit though, because look, weather is it's a variable, and you have to be. And guess what? The amount of extreme weather events that we're having are becoming more and more frequent. So you can't mm-hmm. go off of historical models and be like, oh well, this isn't going to happen. Or I'm else, still not. Well, like with Harvey, that. it was like, oh, it's a 500 year flood. So then, how do you plan for that? I and mean, as a city, we've done yeah, absolutely every, every nothing years to plan we have for a 500 year flood. But then, a, yeah. day, a year before Harvey, you had the tax day floods. Yep. And then, yeah. uh, two years after Harvey, remember, we're we trying had, to drive from yeah. downtown and we randomly get flooded. Dude, Jake we almost, and I are we almost stuck flooded my car. I, yeah. I freaking. I was, we we had one puddle and I was like, I'm gutting really? it. We're going to see if we flood. Yeah, we're working. It starts pouring down rain. We're downtown. We're like, yeah, you guys we should, should really consider go. coming to Oklahoma. Yeah, so we start <laughs> driving. Dude, we spent enough time up there. We <laughs> knew we were in trouble when we saw people walking up the exit ramps. And we're like, what is going on? And we look and there's just metro buses underwater on I-10. Holy cow. Yeah, and that was just rain, like normal rain. A normal day. And so anyways, like the the like running off of historical weather models and being like, oh, well, you know, this isn't ever going to happen. It's just, it doesn't work. And, yeah. you know, if you, you know, like Jake said, you had nat gas power plants coming up and taking up the slack for backup power. But if oh, you're, did. if I mean, your emergency God. plan requires the nat gas power plants and you'd be operating at a hundred percent to, you know, take the load for everything, then that's not a good plan either. So I think the incentives, it's really interesting. I didn't know that about Oklahoma. Yeah. And um, we are part of the Southwest Power Pool. It's a 14 state system. Yeah. And every day they have to bid into the system just to get the contract to, to actually produce. Yeah. So that, that happens on a daily basis in the Southwest Power Pool. And so if you're not bidding low, you're not going to get the, the power gen. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about cryptocurrency. Yes. Like we're going to take a hard Yes, hard right here. Can you laser our that, eyes? To things that consume lots of we energy. Started, <laughs> we started talking about electricity. So I'm like, okay, Bitcoin mining. Heck yeah. And cryptocurrencies. He mentioned he's, you know, if people aren't trading minerals, he's got to, like you're a trading fiend, right? You got to, you got to go start aggregating some cryptocurrencies. I've been so, playing with crypto. So what are, what are you doing with cryptocurrency? Um, so like from the from the Hefner.energy perspective, like I'm really on this China kick right now and I'm realizing how bad China is. Um, yeah. China is two thirds coal powered. Let's yeah. start there. And two thirds of the world's crypto is mined in China. Yep. Which I didn't realize this about Bitcoin, but that you do have a 51% problem with governance on, yeah. that, on that blockchain yeah. and that token. So 51% problem being if you control 51% of the of the, the ledger blockchain the and the power. ledger and the mining power in your hash rate, really it's hash rate. If you have 51% or more of the hash rate, you can actually change the rules of the blockchain itself. And China's got two thirds of that blockchain from what I understand and the hash rate. That's a scary proposition, right? And yeah. and the way that they manage that to- token is off offline. It's not on token, it's off token. So there's other there's other blockchains that are on token governance. Well, I really, think Ethereum really is on because you can see you can see hash rate change 
as season like the the miners seasonal. yeah seasonal changes in yeah. China the miners have to migrate and move mm-hmm. so you can actually see that yep happening but it's all yep. coal power even like um I don't know what was it two months ago China was having um barriers to importing coal from Australia mm-hmm. and so the Chinese government was big trade these, war right now yeah they're having to tell these miners like hey y'all need to get offline consuming too much coal and energy yep but yeah extremely i mean extremely yep. dirty and so you know that's a little bit where i'm headed with it is is I, i've got a hedge fund that i found i've interviewed about 12 to invest with so I, i'm gonna probably throw some money down in in an austin hedge fund for crypto trading but oh, nice. on the other side i want to start mining and, and in oklahoma we have the lowest cost per kilowatt hour in the country um when you look at the share of renewables. So we're over 50% renewables on our grid, mm-hmm. which makes us number one in the country, bar none. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to think a state that's went, you know, all 77 counties went red in the past two elections. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're surprisingly progressive when it comes to renewables. And First so, in the country at that, last in the country at barbecue. Huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, Lincoln Riley, I'm sorry. I'm with some guys that were calling you out pretty hard. Um, they're, they've offered to come up to Oklahoma and, and do a barbecue. Um, but yeah, like I, I want to, I want to, I've got a hydro power purchase agreement I'm working on and I want it to be 20 to 40 megawatts. So it's going to be big Nice. and just start mining the heck out of it. I've got some relationships in Switzerland that, that have boots on the ground in China to inspect the miners before we get them shipped. And we've that's got 24 right seven availability right now. So yeah. that's the hard part. I figured out that bottleneck and now it's just putting the pieces together. So hopefully, hopefully we're able to say we have the number one both most ethically sourced electron that's also green mining yeah. crypto in the world. That's um, awesome. I love it. Love it is the goal. When you get to that point, let us know because I want to talk about it more. Let's um, make some content out of it. Yeah, I love that. It's a, it's a legit revenue stream. It legit yeah. is. Yeah. Especially now. And I believe in it. With monetary policy, I really got behind crypto. And my grand, my 85-year-old grandpa got me into it. Really? Literally. So like Thanksgiving, <laughs> Thanksgiving, he was like, I need you to throw a bunch of money into cryptos. And I was like, no, not doing it for you. And uh, he was like, why? And I was like, it's bullshit. And, <laughs> and so he wouldn't shut up about it. And I was like, finally like, all right, Jiddy, it, I'm Lebanese. So Jiddy means grandpa in Arabic. But I was like, all right, Jiddy, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll dig in for one month and I'll tell you why you're stupid. <laughs> and then now I'm, I'm this big, big, yeah, uh, what, was the, not what, just big what was the one thing that like changed your mind? Man, uh, U.S. monetary policy, central banks worldwide, no fiat currency has ever succeeded. Yeah. And we're a fiat currency at this point. The irony of that situation is it was a republic. Succeeded over a certain period of time. They took us off the gold standard, and it wasn't even gold standard. It was a commodity back mm-hmm. um, monetary policy at the time. But Nixon took us off, Republican. I mean, that's supposed to be a conservative, yeah. fiscal conservative guy, right? Um, so it's it's funny when you start getting into, especially energy and these things, it's like, Conservatives are doing things that they're not supposed to. Liberals are doing things they're not supposed to. Um, <laughs> Tala. And yeah. so th- that was what really changed my mind. And, and somebody, I think it's true, about, I think, one out of every $3 that's in circulation today was printed in 2020. Yeah. Quanti- quantitative easing to infinity is a thing. Janet Yellen's nuts. Um, and, and none of us have any control over monetary policy, do we? It's crazy but, that we have, like, no say in. We have no say. Yeah. And so they're just going to tank this thing. There's no other way that it's going to go. And and I don't think anybody's going to supplant the U.S. dollar for, you know, global reserve yeah. currency because all the other ones are crap too. But <laughs> I think that is the argument. It's like, look, you don't want to be in cash right now. Like no one wants to be in cash. I don't want to be in cash. Yeah. I feel stupid for having cash. Yeah. And so like, where else are you going to put it? 
the reality is in this market, I think you're looking at commodities, you're looking at crypto, you're looking at cryptos, um, and hard, you know, some other hard assets. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, he hit the nail on the head there. And a lot of people argue, well, if the feds and central banks don't want cryptos to exist, then they'll make it where they can't exist. And well, that's, the, like, that's the DeFi deal, right? Yeah. Tell so, them. And, like, and that's off the Ethereum blockchain, ironically. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, Bitcoin can't be shut down. You can make it hard to access Bitcoin, but the network itself can't be shut down. And so anyways, unless all electricity in the world you, goes offline. Exactly. So you could get me talking about this for hours. <laughs> One of my favorite asset classes is just land. Land. Just, yeah. just land as whole. <laughs> I just can't land buy any of it right that's now. Like, <laughs> I just, I just want some land. Robert's been trying. That, so. But that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> So, Robert, appreciate you coming on the show, dude. Um, guys, if you want to check out Robert's work, uh, go to his website. It's hefner.energy. We'll drop a link to that in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, you can also find Robert on Twitter. Um, you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn, too. On LinkedIn. Yep. Twitter's at, cooler. It should be at Robert Hefner or at Robert Hefner V. I forget. Yeah, Twitter's cooler, so we'll Only drop it to his Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so, Robert, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you making the time. Hey, we'll catch thank you, catch thank you, you guys. Thanks, yep. EFT, too. Yep. Shout out to y'all. Guys, if you like the episode, take two seconds, leave a rating review. Share with your friends. We'll catch you in the next episode. Come, 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 come.